I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Movie Jewel podcast. My name is Peter and I am your host. Each episode of the Movie Jewel podcast we select a subject based around movies and then myself and my co-host each pick a film that we think best fits that subject. The only rule being that we can't pick a film that has already been discussed on the podcast. And before we get into the episode, just a few points of order. Last time round on the Movie Jewel podcast, myself and Tarquin uh, were discussing our choices for the worst prequel ever made. Uh, quite a controversial episode, but quite a popular one. Um, so thank you very much for everybody for listening to that one. Uh, and also like to throw out some special thanks to uh, some people who retweeted uh, the episode on Twitter. And those thanks go out to Jamie Russell, uh, Movie Drone Podcast, Sean Panda Nicholson and Paul from Film Busters. Thank you very much, guys. And also thank you to everybody who voted on the poll on Twitter. Uh, it was uh, an overwhelming decision for my choice of uh, The Exorcist, The Beginning, um, which was 100% in my favour. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, and I encourage you to check out uh, Twitter over the next few days uh, where the poll will be added for this episode. Um, be interesting to see what you guys think about our choices for this one. And as has become customary at uh, this part of the episode, um, I'd like to talk to you about a, a podcast uh, that I've been listening to. Uh, well, not only just uh, listening to, but uh, also guesting on. Um, it's already been mentioned before on the podcast, but uh, the Creative Psychopaths uh, podcast with Mark and Matthew. It's a great podcast uh, that uh, discusses various types of different horror movies um, and uh, presents you with a horror sandwich uh, that basically consists of two slices of chatty goodness uh, with a nice horror filling. Uh, on the episode that I guessed it on we talked about Ben Wheatley's Kill List, one of my favourite films of the last 10-15 uh, years uh, and I would encourage you to check it out. I'll uh, add some links to uh, the show notes, uh, but certainly check out the back catalogue as well. Some really diverse films within the world of horror. Uh, and also, uh, over the next few weeks, you will get to hear Vanessa on there as well, who uh, will be guesting uh, on a future episode. And then also just uh, to let you know about how you can get in contact with us here at Movie Jewel Podcast. Obviously, we're on Facebook uh, at facebook.com forward slash Movie Jewel Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at MovieJewelPod. I would encourage you to uh, to follow us on there. Check uh, check out uh, any selection announcements in the future, and also take part in the poll. Um, and then finally, you can contact us at moviejewelpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got any suggestions uh, about uh, subjects that we might do or anything that you'd like to hear on the podcast, it'd be great to hear from you. Also, personally, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I have an account which is Pete Marshall. Uh, it lets you know what uh, I've been watching and what reviews I've given. It might give you a little bit of an insight into uh, some of the films coming up on the Movie Jewel podcast as well. 
And then just uh, a warning before we get into this episode, uh, obviously we will be talking in detail about both films, uh, so both discussions will include spoilers for both films. So without further ado, let's head on over to the main discussion. I always wanted to fight you, Court. Ever since the first time I saw you. Just this itch that I had to scratch. So, welcome back to the Movie Your Podcast to Jamie. How are you, Jamie? I'm very well, thank you very much, Peter. It's the beginning of my summer holiday, so a bit more relaxed. A bit more fancy-free for the next six weeks. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> I won't say too much about that, though. No. <laughs> no. Uh, well, uh, so, uh, what, what have you been up to? Anything interesting lately? Any 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 good watches uh, since we um, spoke? It's, it's been a bit lean, uh, to be honest. Um just really watching films following to follow other podcasts, really. Um, I haven't had a cinema visit uh, since Indiana Jones, um, which, which I'll be happy to uh, say a few things about. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've been meaning to watch Mission Possible. I'd love to see Oppenheimer. Um, it's just fitting. I'm open, Oppenheimer's three hours. Mm. Mission Impossible is two and a half. You know, there's just something about yeah. the, the, the length of these uh, films it's, at the moment it's tough in cinemas i mean i'm quite lucky because the um uh my lo- most local cinema which is a very old-fashioned cinema called uh kinema in the woods in in Woodall spa i've posted it a few times on twitter yeah, I uh, some of my yeah. pictures it's got the whole sort of ham and organ that pops up in the middle of the film uh, and actually has an intermission which is great it's great for me um oh, just like to that. sort of um take a break get an ice cream and uh and do any business you need to do, and and get back into the film, which comes in handy for a free, you know, a three hour plus film. Is, is that done for every film, or every just the long, or just the long? Oh, no, right. absolutely every film. Um, right. It's very, very traditional, very old fashioned, and just a great, great little cinema. Mm. Smells like a museum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I actually finally watched. I've mentioned it a couple of times on this podcast, uh, and I managed to finally watch the entirety of Mad Max Fury Road. Wow. Which has taken yes. me, it was my fourth attempt, and yes. I watched it start to finish, uninterrupted, um, and can finally give my verdict. And? It's very, very, very good. Very good. 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 I'm, I'm really pleased. It's it's not it's not my favourite Mad Max film. I wouldn't necessarily put it above Mad Max and the Road Warrior, but it was very enjoyable, and it was enjoyable in the filmmaking sense as well. It was just a great-looking picture, superbly edited you know i think i read somewhere it was his wife or something that or somebody i can't quite remember now i read it very quickly this morning um but the editing in it is just amazing i believe it won an oscar for editing as well the, the, the stunt work is just unbelievable yeah i mean the only thing that stopped me sort of giving it five stars on on letterbox was uh the runtime um i think it could have been a, a hair shorter 10 15 minutes maybe um, and it took me out of it a little bit the the big sort of CGI scene with the uh, the sandstorm as well. Yeah, it, it I just sort of it took it that little bit too far, I think, for me. But particularly, particularly for a film that's so practical. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, I thought it was a great story. It was fairly original for a Mad Max film, I thought, and it had the right sort of had the right beats that sort of took you back to to the other instalments as well, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, well, you know, you never know. That might come up as a, a film 
to discuss it at length at some point in the future. So I'll leave it there. Obviously, you mentioned there that you, you saw Indiana Jones. What what did you think of that? Well, um, I really enjoyed it. Again, a little bit a bit long. I think another sort of 20 minutes could have been shaved off that quite easily. I thought the opening act was, was fantastic. It really sort of mm. whizzed through the... I thought the um, the de-aging section was, was fantastic. I have mm-hmm. heard quite a lot of criticism of that, mm. yeah, which, I, which I thought was a bit surprising. I thought, well, I, I thought it was great. Um, and... Uh, to really sort of, um, it felt nostalgic. It felt like you're going back to the original trilogy for mm. that sequence. And of course, it was going to have to end at some point, but it was a fantastic way to open the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it lost a little bit um, uh, in, the, in the in the second act, um, and then the third act was too long. But it hit many of the beats that I was looking for, and um, yeah, I think it's. It went some way to erasing the bitter disappointment of Crystal Skull. <laughs> I watched it at the cinema, and I haven't watched it since. All right, okay. Oh, I've, I've, I've given it another chance, but it still is, it's still not great at all. It's got some fun parts to it, Crystal Skull, but mm, no, no, no. The reveal that the, you get into the supernatural or science fiction far too early in that film. Bring it's back the Nazis, that's what you need. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, all the best films I've had the Nazis in them, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's the winning formula for Indiana Jones, obviously. So, last time you were here, Jamie, uh, we were discussing uh, our choices for best Bond film. Um, and uh, it was a it was a no-score draw uh, for that one on the it Twitter was. poll. But... Uh, but since then, it's important that I'm going to have to speak about this uh, feedback that uh, you received for your, for your lovely um, podcast voice. Um, how, how did how how did you feel about that? Yes, well, it was yeah on on the the latest uh, edition of Movie Drone, the the boys Mark and and Steve were saying uh, that I had a a Radio Four voice. Yeah, I noticed he completely skipped over my voice, but uh, yeah. yeah, well, well, there you go. <laughs> There's no accounting for taste, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so from now on in, the Movie Jewel podcast will be featuring a section on poetry, um, economics, and uh, the shipping forecast. So we should get to that instead of uh, an intermission at some point. Okay, <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah, it was it, it was it was nice to get a mention on uh, on Movie Drone. It's it's a, a podcast I've been listening to quite a bit. Um, and, uh, and thoroughly enjoy it. So thank you very much to, to Mark and Steve um, for their kind words about my sensual voice. Maybe I'm, I'm putting words into their mouths now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there we go. But uh, yeah, so on to, on to this episode. So we're, we're throwing it to you for, for the subject this, uh, this episode. Um, can you let the, uh, the good listeners know uh, what you picked this time around? Yeah, I went for a director choice, went for Sam Raimi and uh, the most underappreciated Sam Raimi films. I thought the reason for that is that I feel that Raimi, I think he gets shortchanged sometimes with, um, um, you know, he's, he's often referred to as the Evil Dead guy or the Spider-Man guy without really recognition of his full body of work. And I thought, ideal opportunity to um, offer up a duel about uh, films that are not 
given the appreciation that they deserve. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, it's, we'll start off with a little bit of uh, Sam Raimi information. Uh, so Sam Raimi was born in Royal Oak, Michigan, uh, to a conservative Jewish family. Uh, he's the son of merchants Celia Barbara and Leonard Ronald Raimi. Uh, his first director credit was 1977's It's Murder, uh, which he also co-wrote, co-produced and co-starred um, with a lot of his uh, childhood friends, including uh, Mr. Bruce Campbell, who I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk about during probably both of these films. Um, his first fully-fledged film uh, was 1981's The Evil Dead. Uh, based on his own short film, uh, Within the Woods. And he's since gone on to uh, direct the original Spider-Man trilogy, Oz the Great and Powerful, um, and even dipped his toe into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so uh, a few little bits of trivia for you surrounding Sam Raimi. His favourite film is 1948's The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. His highest grossing film at the box office uh, was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness grossing just short of $1 billion. And again, I'm having to uh, resist the urge to do my Doctor Evil voice for that one. Oh, I wonder I wonder if Spider-Man um, might beat that if you, if you adjust it for inflation. I don't th- I think this, this list was no. adjusted for adjusted inflation. For thing. I believe so. Um, I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure it was. And finally, uh, Raimi's own 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 appears in nearly all of his films and has even appeared in a number of Coen Brothers films as well. They were the Coens and uh, uh, Raimi close friends and they've uh, worked on each other's films. Um, so yeah, all the, way, all the way back to Evil Dead. Okay, so uh, with it being your choice of subject, it, it fell to me to have sort of first dibs, first pick of uh, of a film, and it was a fairly easy choice for me because I was surprised. I think he's he's a, it's an odd one with Sam Raimi because he's 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 revered as a director, and his films haven't necessarily been he's not had many flops. They've always been popular in one way or another, whether that's going on to become a cult classic. Or it's you know it's just been a major box office box office success, um, but this this immediately came to mind. Um, so my choice for this episode was 1990s Darkman. Who? No foolish heroics, if you please. Is Darkman. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now, crime has a new enemy, and justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. He has the power to look like any man. There's two both sons of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. You think you're killing? And he pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour. Julie, who's the real monster? 
there's a light that shines on every human being. But one. From director Sam Raimi. Dark Man. Uh, it's obviously directed by Sam Raimi, uh, starring Liam Neeson, Francis McDormand, Larry Drake, Colin Frills and Ted Raimi. Darkman is a story of a brilliant scientist left for dead uh, and he returns to exact revenge on the people who burnt him alive. Nice, simple synopsis. Um, why do I consider this underrated? And I think in the first instance I thought this is a film that doesn't get a lot of love and I don't recall it getting a lot of love, especially from critics um, or hearing about that or it being this big Sam Raimi film. So I was actually quite surprised when I started to look into some of the the figures because it was actually quite well reviewed at the time of its release. Um, it took $48 million uh, worldwide box office on a $14 million budget. So it was a box office success. Um, spawned two sequels, even elicited a TV pilot in 1992 as well, which obviously didn't get picked up. Looking at Rotten Tomatoes, which is a, a good indicator, 84% for critics which is a pretty damn good score for Rotten Tomatoes so that really surprised me but then you look at the flip side of that and the audience rating 59% which is a hell of a drop and it's a quite it's quite a rare thing to see the critics rating being so high and the audience rating being so much lower it's usually the other way around if anything yeah definitely mm -hmm. definitely you know um, you think of something like uh, Shawshank Redemption which got pretty mediocre to to bad reviews even at the time that it was released um but you know that's that's going to have a, a massive audience score but yeah it just really surprised me when i started to look into this film but it's it just doesn't get the love that it deserves i think this film especially from from the audience um and i think there's, there's probably some quite clear reasons for that and I think it just deserves to be in that sort of lexicon of, of great films from the 90s. And it's just not there. And to use a, a reasonably well-worn cliche, I think it was ahead of its time. Or it was... It, it, the world wasn't ready for that sort of blend of, of, of superhero and horror at that time. And it sort of fell between two films that were very important in those two sort of genres. Tim Burton's Batman. This film was released a year after, and it started the new craze of, of, of comic book movies and, and what comic book movies could be in terms of darkness and, and pushing the limits to, to just how dark those movies can be. Did you did sorry? Did you know that uh, Raimi tried to make Batman? Yes. Well, he tried. He tried to get the rights initially. I think for the Shadow, um, yeah. and then for Batman. And I think he was. I believe he was considered originally for. Um, what became Tim Burton's Batman, um, but obviously lost out um, and couldn't secure the rights for the Shadow, so had to basically come up with his his own his own superhero. And you can see a lot of the Shadow in 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 uh, in the Darkman character, and especially the look, def for definite. The second film is The Crow from 1994, which perfectly blended that sort of comic book and horror element and and really sort of pulled it off and i think it probably you know not to to say that this is just purely the reason it's it's considered a great film but it really helped i don't want to say helped 
it sort of pushed it that edge further with um, Brandon Lee's Untimely Death as well. And it became, that film probably became a bit more popular than than maybe it would have oh, been. Yeah, no doubt. But that's, you know, I think by 1994, you've got that, you've maybe got that a little bit more of desire for it. But in between those 89 and 94, you've you've not got that. People are still sort of reeling from, from Batman and how good that was and, and how much that just blew everything out of the water. And then you're sort of saying that the guy who made Evil Dead is, is making a comic book movie. Um, and I don't think people could sort of grasp that they, they couldn't get their heads around the raminess of the film also it was a very very dark interpretation as well so i'm not sure yeah. if that was going to you know make it more uh available to a wider audience and then possibly you know, more interest uh, accordingly yeah and i think it's it's uh, the, the other thing I, I think maybe why it doesn't get the love is it's maybe I think if you don't get Sam Raimi you don't get Darkman. You can watch a, uh, a, a spy one of the Spider-Man films and the, the, there's there's lots of bits of Raimi in there. There's lots of his style, but it's it's quite grounded and it's 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 sort of watered down a little bit maybe. Um, but here. The style and the shooting style is not very different to an Evil Dead or an Army of Darkness or you know any of those of his early films. That you see a lot of the beats and you see a lot of the uh, the, the shooting style and the you know the, the quick cuts and, and 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 the visual style that he uses in a lot of his early films and his his lower budget films. You know, forty millions probably not a hell of a lot of money even in nineteen ninety, but this. You know, aside from a few, some of the sort of rear projection, I think it is. Yeah, there's some green screen wire. The green screen, um, yeah. That's 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 very dodgy. I think I think the problem with that is it was made in 1990, and that was at the very beginning of uh, CGI sort of experimentation mm-hmm. in film and, and use of green screen. Um, because the the 80s was always that was always still practical special effects. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember Total Recall in 1990 being one of the very first films um, to use um, CGI um, and your know, Darkman, m- much lower budget film, obviously, and, and, and dabbling with green screen and, uh, and special effects that look quite, you know, they are dated now, clearly. And he, if you watch the film on high definition, as, as everyone does now, you really do see those special effects um, issues um, and the sort of rubbery prosthetic um, uh, makeup as well in places. I, I don't really understand why a lot of the f- there's some significant sequences that were shot in bright daylight. Yeah. With 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 prospe- prosthetics, and I think well, why? What? Surely for a film that's so sort of uh, dark anyway, that it would make much more sense to have it. <laughs> Uh, you know, not shot in in daylight, and it just seemed that that was always going to catch uh, catch them out at some point. Um, looking back on it, well, I think that's just that's. I think a lot of that's Raimi's style, isn't it? You know, he, even but he he doesn't normally shoot in in, in daylight. He he take, a lot of his films are shot 
in, in in darkness. Yeah, but they're always. I think they're always well lit. And you know, even the yeah, yeah. even the uh, you know, evil even Evil Dead, Evil Dead. Well, Evil Dead Two, especially you know, more than Evil Dead One, so a lot more low budget and high, trying to hide a little bit more, maybe. But you know, that you don't. It doesn't shy away. You're not sort of seeing bits and bobs, and it's trying to use that sort of darkness as as a as a tactic it's you know you see when you see the demons and the monsters and the the transformations and everything you you know you see them head to toe and and but there's most of them are like they're indoors though so it's yeah you 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 can control the lighting elements but there are sequences in darkman when it's on location it's outside mm-hmm. where you obviously can't control it, the elements <laughs> and you know, then it's going to show up yeah special effects so much more yeah I guess so. I mean, it didn't. It, this is the first time I've watched it in, God, twenty years, I think, and um, it's not one I often revisit. But I still, it didn't take me out of it. I still enjoyed it as a as a picture, and I thought it was still, it still sort of held up because I think you've got that inherent sort of um, tongue in cheekness of of the film as well. That that sort of the some of the I don't want to say shabbiness, but some of the the sort of cornier looking special effects add to its charm i think you know the same it does with a, a lot of sort of lower budget uh horror films and things like that it's you know and you you just got to look at some of the performances you know you, you're not going to well i think it is a good performance from liam neeson but he's playing it extremely tongue-in-cheek he's playing this over the top and he's playing this like he's reading a, a you know the pages from a comic book and it just nails the tone completely right but i think if you don't again if you don't know sam raimi and you don't appreciate sam raimi and this was probably the first sam raimi film that would appeal a bit to a bit more of a wider spectrum mm-hmm. yeah and if you don't know if you've not seen the evil deads then watching this you think well, what well, he's just acting like you know it, it, this the acting's really terrible in this but I think Neeson just just nails it. It's just so over the top, so comic book. Mm-hmm. It was it was his first uh, sort of leading man role. Yeah, um, and then you've got sort of Francis McDormand, who's who's not quite on the same level. She's she's still sort of. I, I don't know. If she's I don't know if she's right for the role. She's no, maybe not. No, she's she's not. Again, she she's a she's a fantastic actor oscar winning obviously um and i think maybe she was not really picking up the uh, you know the, the exaggerated elements of it and it wasn't really a comic book style performance from her no. um, a little bit more sort of straight perhaps she didn't really sort of pick up on what Remy was wanting i understand there was a bit of conflict during the production between mcdormand and Remy. um ah, right. you know, friend friend through uh, Coen Brothers, because one of the Coen Brothers is uh, married to Francis. But uh, yeah, apparently there was a bit of conflict on set, so maybe that comes through in a, in her performance. Yeah, but then you've got what I would consider to be one of the most underrated, if we're talking about underrated, underrated villains of the 90s. Uh, Larry Drake as Robert G. Durant is absolutely fucking incredible. You know, he's, he, I think he's one of, those, one of those actors that you... Oh, he was in so-and-so, you know, you, you'd sort of know him vaguely from things um most memorably for me and my age and, and what i watched when i was younger he was uh one of the guys on the beach in the karate kid yes 
Mm-hmm. The, always, the scene always got cut from the TV versions because mm-hmm. it's got um, some of, offensive uh, racial language in it, but mm-hmm. it's an incredibly funny scene. Uh, but yeah, in this, Larry Drake, he just nails it completely. And he's one of the first characters that, that, that we meet uh, and just starts cutting people's fingers off with his uh, his cigar trimmer. I don't know if there's an official name for that, but it's just immense. You know, just point one, gone, two. I've got seven more points to make. (laughs) (laughs) It's just incredible. And it's just a sight to behold, even, you know, as it goes through the film. I think, you know, towards the end of the film, he becomes a bit of a, a bit of a lackey, really. He doesn't end up being the big bad of the film, which is a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, I Um, I agree. That was, uh, that wasn't, that was uh, something that uh, detracted from the film a little bit. He was so good in that opening section. And I wasn't particularly keen on the, uh, the, the, that business guy who was struck, yeah, 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 didn't yeah. really take to him much. No, I think he's well. He play he plays a good smug sort of businessman kind of character that you'd expect for this role. But yeah, it's it's not a great revelation that he's the he's the mastermind behind everything. It would have been better to keep it as as uh, as the Durant character um, all the way through. And then you've got a few sort of um, little bit parts, most notably um, uh, Sam Raimi's brother, Ted, who plays um, Rick and gets one of the best demises in this <laughs> in this film um, where he's, uh, his head's popped through a, a sewer grate <laughs> into the oncoming traffic. Um, and it's just incredible. I mean, all, you know, a lot of the... the, vi- the that visual style of Raimi is just it's just so endearing i think it's just it's it's dynamic yeah yeah definitely you know it brought it, it you know you feel like it's just whacking you in the face um just all the way through and you feel quite you know that you're in you're in you're in the picture almost you know i rewatched this on my 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 projector the first time i'd seen it in um on something quite quite large and it was quite um quite an experience to see that on the big screen on the bigger screen even i won't say i'm on the big screen here it's not quite that big but it was it definitely added to the uh to the enjoyment of the picture i think the score's really good as well danny danny elfman danny elfman's score is fantastic that's one sort of definite highlight of the film for me yeah yeah i mean it's not as probably not as memorable as, as some of the other ones but um, yeah, he's just he's up there in those top ten composers for me. Anyway, um, Danny Elfman, he's always really sort of solid, and you can always rely on him. You know, whether it's action, whether it's um, it's just these kind of superhero things. I think he did Superman as uh, Spider Man as well, didn't he, he Danny did, Elfman? Yes. Um, and obviously the uh, the original Tim Burton Batman as well. But it's got quite a high concept to it as well, you know. I mean, he's he's obviously a big fan of comic books anyway, Sam, uh, Sam Raimi. And, you know, he had his heart set on, on making The Shadow. Um, and there are a lot of sort of elements using disguises and 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 those sorts of things. And, and you know, working in The Shadows for the most part as, as, as his Darkman character. And I think that's, a, again, a really interesting concept to the, to the, to the picture is that you know he's the scientist who creates who's trying to create skin for for people who have um uh, been in accidents or 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 whatever it may be and he can't perfect it past 99 minutes so 
as soon as he gets to 99 minutes, the skin that he's created will just dissolve and fizzle away and it's it's gone. Until, you know, they discover that it stops doing that in the dark. I mean, I, I do understand this is a superhero film and you're going to suspend your disbelief to mm-hmm. some extent. But that lab gets blown to smithereens. Mm-hmm. And he still got his able to use his 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 equipment following that. I mean, that's just not plausible. I mean, he, he literally gets blown out of his of his lab, and but he still is able to use his equipment. It's back in the day that equipment was probably made by Nokia, so it's probably <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah. You've got to really suspend your disbelief. Well, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, he's not surviving that blast at all, is he? Uh, in the first place, but you know, I think it's just it's really you know, especially I saw this when I was a, a younger man, uh, teenager. So this was just was just so cool, you know. And then he starts wearing people's, uh, recreating people's faces, and you know, and it's all before Face Off as well. Yeah, exactly. And this does this infinitely better than Face Off ever did. I thought you'd say that, but he's you know he's 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 fucking with the bad guys. He's he's using them to to throw each other or you know uh, uh, suspicion at each other and things like that and it's just incredible that that middle section of the story is just so much fun just to watch and just you know him him sort of you know pulling at the skin and then you know having to run away when it starts bubbling and all this sort of stuff and i anything you know skin bubbling and and peeling and things it's another one of those things that just fascinates me no i agree um i watched it first um when i was a teenager too Uh, at the time i I remember watching it when it came out and uh really enjoying it really enjoyed it at the time i think it's lost a little bit of that impact that that it had at the time um but it was still enjoyable um Mm. i i saw um most of some traditional sort of uh, universal horror elements in it as well, like Phantom yes. of the Opera and things like that. He's, he's clearly pulling on quite a, a range of sort of genre influences in it. Um, and uh, yeah, totally enjoyable. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, as I said towards the beginning, I think it was probably ahead of its time, but then I don't know if it would really fit in any other time. I think maybe now, you know, people know Sam Raimi a bit more. Yeah, I think it would definitely work more now, and you've 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 had a sort of a more diverse um, interpretation of of superhero genre, and you've got your, your darker films like Kickass and uh, the Ryan Reynolds. You know, is, is it uh, Deadpool? Deadpool, yeah, it's, films that have uh, you know uh, gone a bit darker into the into the genre. Hmm. But um, yeah, maybe it was just ahead of its time. Uh, have you seen any of the uh, any of the sequels? I haven't. No. No, I haven't either. <laughs> uh, it's straight straight to video. Don't have yeah. huge appeal for me, but uh, I um, maybe I should have been a little bit more. I mean, the the second one has the return. It's called the the return of Durant. So, so Larry Drake's back in that one. Apparently, they are the wrong way around oh, chron- right, okay. chronologically. That the last the last one should have been the sequel. And the second one should have been the last one. That's um, why I read. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't I go been, that far in my research. I believe uh, Liam Neeson's replaced by the guy from the Mummy as well. I can't remember his name. The guy who played the Mummy in the nineteen ninety nine version. Oh yes, I know who you mean. Okay, his name escapes yeah, me, but yeah, okay. uh, yeah. but yeah, they might be worth checking out when, if and when. 
they don't pop up. I've never seen them pop up anywhere on streaming or anything like that. So, but then I've never seen Dark Man. I had to hunt this out a little bit. Yeah, well, I I, I already had a copy, so um, that, was, that was fine for me. But yeah, it's not readily available, is it? No, no. And uh, straight off the bat, first film of the of the episode, we have an X Files connection as well. Appears right at the end of the film. To be honest, I wasn't even thinking about it when I was watching it. So, go on then. Well, it's the good old faithful Sam Raimi uh, best friend, Bruce Campbell, who appears as the last uh, really? the last incarnation of, uh, of of Peyton Westlake on the yeah, street. Yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to think. Well, he was in season. In he was in season six's Terms of Endearment, where he oh, plays oh. a demon trying to have a human baby. Yeah, season six I'm not as familiar with. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Uh, so yes, that was uh, uh, that's Darkman. Is there, or is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, to well, uh, speaking of Bruce Campbell, he was Remy wanted him to play the lead, mm-hmm. um, but it's the studio who said no to that. Um, so managed to get him in as a little cameo at the end. But um, yes, Remy had plans for him to be the leading man. Would you? Do you think that Campbell would have uh, been a I think he would. Like I said, you know, I think Liam Liam Neeson manages to pull it off. I think in terms of the performance, he gets it, he gets the tone just right. But that tone is completely Bruce Campbell. You know, it's it's it, he he would have done it without a you know without. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Neeson maybe he has that sort of physical presence more. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that the. Yeah, the exaggerated, uh, sort of zany, Remy style would, would have come through much more effectively with uh, Campbell. But I'm not surprised that the studio said no to it. No, no. It's a shame, though. I think that would have been an interesting film. Um, but yes, uh, that's it for Darkman, then. We'll, uh, we'll head off to the intermission, and uh, we'll be back shortly to discuss your choice. Fantastic. <laughs> Okay, so welcome to the intermission. Uh, so this is the part of the episode where uh, I ask my co-host a random question, a question they're not prepared for, uh, and get their honest first answer. So, Jamie, are you ready? I hope so. Okay. Uh, so, what is your favourite deleted scene from any movie? Mm, tough. Crikey. <laughs> um, favourite deleted scene? Um, well, I don't know. Don't know if this is necessarily my favourite, but I'm I'm just going for ones that are particularly memorable. Okay. So I'm going to go for the deleted uh, end scene for Universal Soldier, which okay. is which is something that actually I wasn't aware of um, when the, when the film first came out, and it was a, as a podcast who were, who were, uh, that were covering the film said. It's actually done by two, two podcasts, and the first one made it mentioned this 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 alternate ending that was absolutely crazy. I thought, well, I didn't know anything about this, and it's, it's mm. on YouTube. So, if you have uh, any interest in, in Universal Soldier, that Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren classic from the <laughs> from the early nineties, check oh. out YouTube and an absolutely batshit crazy alternate ending. 
And are you familiar with Universal Soldier? No, I've seen it, but not for a long, long time. It wasn't something I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it's really a bizarre ending where um, you know you have Van Damme's character who is at the at the at the, the farm and place at the end where you think he's reunited with his parents, um, right. but it turns out that those parents are actually working uh, for the government. Um, and I think it's the father guns him down, mm-hmm. um, you know, dramatically, <laughs> and down he goes. Um, and at that point, the, 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 his sort of his his love interest, the film, is sort of oh, Luke, you're dying. And <laughs> at, that, at that point, she's pulled away f- uh, from from him, and she has to do this. This she's a, she's a, a reporter. She has to do this ridiculous report while he's <laughs> while he's dying there. Ah, yeah, it's, and it's just bizarre. I mean, other things happen after that as well. But, you know, it's just, what were they thinking? <laughs> what were, I mean, I presume that this is something they perhaps had shown to test the audience and they, they just laughed it off. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's not necessarily my favourite, but it's my most sort of memorable of the recent ones. OK, I'll, I'll check that out then. Yeah, it's on YouTube. As long as I don't have to watch Universal Soldier again. I don't think you need to put yourself through that. No, 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 no. I mean, mine would be um, from one of my favourite films, Jaws. And there's not too many deleted scenes from that film, but it's just a fascinating scene. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's the uh, Quint going to buy the piano wire from the shot. It's only a very short scene. No, I don't think I've seen that. Uh, And there's basically a young lad playing or trying to play the flute I think he's just had it retuned or, or something like that and he asks for the piano wire and the young lass who's who's working in the shop goes to get it and this lad's sort of playing um, uh, I don't know if it's Ode to Joy I think or something like that and Quint's just behind him and because he, he's not quite getting it right Quint's just going ba 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 and it just gets louder and louder and louder and it's you know it's a completely throwaway scene, but it just shows that sort of bullshitness and the arseholiness of, of the Quint character just perfectly. And I think you could still, although I think Jaws is a perfect film, it would have just had that little mm, just to it if if that scene had still been. Oh, that, that's that's a good one. Um, we'll have we'll have to exchange deleted scenes there. <laughs> yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. Um, Okay, right. Uh, well, um, it sounds like people are heading back in. Yeah, so we'll... I, can, I, can, I can see a few people with ridiculously huge buckets of popcorn. Yes, we know how you love your popcorn. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was that was a, a, a potential question of uh, what do you like to eat during your your uh, your film, but I thought we'd best avoid that rant again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll head back to uh, to discuss your choice. Thank you very much, Jamie. Thank you. Okay, so um, so on to your choice then, Jamie. What? Uh, well, first of all. Was this a film that you had in in mind when you picked the subject, or or did you sort of pick the subject and then go? Um, to this? Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say I had the film before the subject, and um, because there were quite a few films I could have chosen. Uh, when I, when I said I was surprised that you went for Darkman, 
um, I just had this feeling that you were going to go for Drag Me to Hell um, as, as, as a horror man. Um, <laughs> and I thought about Drag Me to Hell. I, I watched it quite recently and I really enjoyed it. I rewatched it recently and enjoyed it. But I felt it was perhaps a little bit too close to Evil Dead, you know, treading similar ground. Uh, it, did, it did when I did a bit of research. I, I did think about Drag Me to Hell, but when I did a bit of research, it was actually quite university, universally sort of you know it didn't get the bashing at the, at the from the critics i don't, I don't think it performed particularly well at the box office though no, maybe not maybe um and not. i would still say that it's it's not uh, so it would still say it's underappreciated overall okay. um but uh, yeah i thought about drag me to hell i thought about dark man i also thought about a film called a simple plan have yes. you seen a simple plan yes mm. simple plan's a very good film yeah mm. yeah bill uh, is it bill paxton billy bob thought yes 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 yeah Actually, the reason I didn't choose that was I felt it wasn't Raimi enough. Okay. And it's it's one of those films that you can watch it and not necessarily see it as a Raimi film. It doesn't. He holds back on his style a lot in that. Mm. Um, it does have another Danny Elfman score, which is really good, and I, and I love it as a film. It's 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 a great film. But um, no, I, I felt it wasn't Raimi enough. Um, okay. So I ended up going for. Quick in the dead. This is my town! I'm in charge of everything! I decide who lives or who dies! In a town called Redemption. A winner-take-all sudden death contest is about to take place. I now declare the quick draw competition open! But now, there's a new face in town. You're pretty. You're not. The kind of woman who knows that the fastest way to a man's heart... Is a Colt 45. Sign me up. Sure must want to die young, miss. And my name to the list. Gentlemen, please remember, you must not draw until that clock makes the first chime of the hour. The quick and the dead. Are you prepared to go? All the way. It's the film that's mocking the critics dead. The year's wildest ride, Sharon Stone will blow you away. Some people deserve to die. Tons of action and lots of fun. You want to play poker with me, little lady? It's like you're having a pretty good time playing with yourself. Starring Sharon Stone, Oscar winner Gene Hackman, Leonardo DiCaprio, Gary Sinise, and Lance Hendrickson. Directed by Sam Raimi of Darkman and Army of Darkness. I came here to kill Herod, and that's what I'm going to do. Some came for the glory. It takes a lot to scare me. I love the sensation. Some came for the money. Did you even see me? I was so damn fast. She came for revenge. Who are you? I'm gonna kill you if I have to ride all the way to hell to do it. The quick and the dead. You're either one or the other. Yeah, I just, I just think this is, this is a film that it's if you don't know much about westerns or you don't think you necessarily you don't know whether you're going to enjoy westerns or not watch this film this is like a gateway <laughs> film as far as i'm concerned it's 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 a blueprint it's it's a, it's a checklist of all of uh, all of the most exciting elements of westerns uh, and using the gunfighting uh, the dual elements um now this is a perfect film for um, you know, movie duel podcast. This is a film about duels throughout <laughs> deadly duels. Anyway, so Quick in the Dead, 1995, directed by Sam Raimi. 
starring Sharon Stone, who plays Ellen, um, sometimes referred to as the lady, uh, the wonderful Gene Hackman, playing Herod, Russell Crowe, playing Court, Leonardo DiCaprio, playing the kid, a pre-jigsaw Tobin Bell, playing Dog Kelly, uh, the wonderful Keith David, playing Sergeant Cantrell, <laughs> and uh, again, the wonderful Lance Henriksen, with a brilliant uh, role. I think it's... it's Scene stealing in a way, and I wish he had a he wish he had a a bigger role playing Ace Hamlin. Music by Alan Silvestri. I think the cinematography is worth mentioning. Dante Spinotti because he was a regular with Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. He did Heat, The Last Mohicans, Manhunter, The Inside, and Public Enemies. And you know this this is a stacked cast, isn't it? Mm, um, it is. It's, it's one of those films. Another two films I think of contemporary films that have casts like this one would be heat mm-hmm. um and then the other one is true romance you know some films that you know you just look at the credits and it's like star after star to star mm. to star and this has even got old man marley in it from home alone it does, it does indeed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but this this is clearly you know a really good example of say, established stars like jane hackman and sharon stone and then actors who were about to 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 burst onto the scene like crow and dicaprio um, and then really, really reliable uh, sort of supporting actors like Henriksen and, and David. Um, and yeah, it's just, just a fantastic cast. Um, mm. And uh, they bring their A-games, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not necessarily always a Sharon Stone fan. Yeah, I mean, I would say she's... I didn't, I didn't get the casting of Sharon Stone in this film. I, I do think it's the, a weak point, or mm. one of the weaker points. And... Uh, it's because she seems to play it straight. It's like she ha- yeah. she hasn't she hasn't picked up Raimi's sort of style of of, of acting here, and every, everyone else is playing it tongue in cheek as it should be. Mm. Uh, but she seems to be acting in a different film. She she acts well. Um, she's she's got some good lines, but you know, yeah, it feels like she's she's in a different film in some aspects. So I'll agree with that. Yeah. Because then it sort of got me thinking about, well, who who would be right necessarily in that role? And I don't think there's anybody, because I think if it's too, you know, there's there's perhaps a, a line to say that she's too glamorous for the role. But then I think if you put somebody who's less glamorous in that role, it becomes a different role as well. Yeah. And you don't necessarily get the, uh, the chemistry or the tone that, that this film has. So, although I would say that it's probably the weaker performance in the film, I don't know that anybody could make it any better. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it, yeah, I agree. The, the the cast in this is pretty stellar. I don't have a hell of a lot of love for for Lance Hendrickson, um, in you, general. You, you don't it's... have you don't have a love. No. no, no really. No. Why? No. I don't know. He just comes across when you say. I mean, he does a lot of interviews or a lot of interviews I've seen DVD extras and things like that, specifically the aliens one um, where he just comes across as a complete tool to me. <laughs> but um, I think that just sort of soured it for me but I don't you know I mean in terms of his work his body of work you know he's he's obviously somebody who does a lot of um, he doesn't seem to mind what roles he takes should we oh, say I, I, I like the way that this was a sort of a performance where you know he knew he knew exactly what the role required. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think know. this is this is definitely one of his strongest performances. You and, know, outside of Bishop, he's he's yeah. Just the the way he's 
so so there's uh, preening constantly throughout <laughs> and you know this costume everything is just, is is perfectly judged and then I you think find I read somewhere that his his wife loved his costume and loved his look <laughs> I bet <laughs> um, but uh, everything about his 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 role was was perfect um and um it's just just a shame that it, it didn't last longer but then I think that's the point of the role, though, isn't it? Because he's sort of there, presented to be there as the the archetypal gunslinger. He's got the look. He's got you know. He's got the the he's got the patter. He's he just looks like a gunslinger, and he looks like he would be a good gunslinger. But you know, he's he's pretty. The fact that he's dispatched so early in the film and, and, and well, he, quite he, easily. He's a fraud, isn't he? He's he's yeah, he's, exactly, he's yeah. living on someone else's uh, actual uh, story, which you find yeah. out later on. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I thought he was fantastic. Um, so, um, synopsis, telling the story of the lady, the film follows a mysterious female gunslinger who arrives in the town of Redemption and participates in a gunslinging competition that pits her against deadly killers. As the competition goes on, it becomes clear that the cash prize isn't the only thing that Lady is after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it seems to be a bit of a renaissance um, of um, perhaps of more sort of revisionist westerns in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was when I did a bit of research into this, do you know how many other westerns were filmed in nineteen ninety four? I mean, this is film, it was filmed in ninety four when it came out in ninety five. Do you want to have a guess how many westerns were were filmed that year? <sighs> See, Tombstone was earlier on. That was ninety-three. Tombstone, I think. I think that might have been. I sure it was ninety-three. Might, maybe it was. Anyway, I'm not sure if Tombstone, sure, Tombstone was one of them. But, but Tombstone was certainly one of the one of those in that year. Wyatt Earp would have been that era. Mm-hmm. I think after that came after Tombstone, and not a patch on Tombstone. Tombstone's fucking great film. Um, uh, oof, can't really think of any more from there. No, go on, hit me. Twelve. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm not going to list them all, but yeah, apparently twelve other rest westerns were filmed in 1984. So yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that uh, was something that ne- didn't necessarily help the film. Mm. Um, and um, uh, yeah, the, the film was uh, a box office flop. Oh, yeah. It on a 32 million budget, mm-hmm. it made 18.6 million worldwide. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would. I mean, I saw. I'd not seen this film before, so this was the first time watch for me for in preparation for this podcast. And all right, that's it. That's it. The jewels won. That's it. <laughs> I mean, like I said, you know, it's clear that this is underappreciated. You know, box bo- bombed at the box office. You hadn't even seen it. Mm. Don't you think? Shall we shake mm, hands? No, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> I still think Dark Man is a is a vastly under underappreciated, underrated film, um, and but it you know that's uh, you know that's maybe for the end when when I surmise. <laughs> um, so yeah, jump, it was jumping ahead. No, no, no. It's uh, you know I think yeah it, it doesn't like you say just just on the cast alone it's it's you would have thought. Well, may you know, even just Gene Hackman and Sharon Stone, who was on fire at that point. Sharon Stone would have been. This is what mm-hmm. any a couple of years after Basic Instinct, you got yep. Slither and all those kind of films. That, that... And 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 Hackman was just post Unforgiven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
it's it's surpri it's very surprising, very very surprising um, that it, it didn't make that bit more because that's quite a big dip as well. That's mm. quite. A... Yeah, I think Remy did take it quite personally, um, yeah. and uh, well, he he ended up sort of being a little bit critical of his own sort of uh, style style putting in too much style into the film. Um, but apart from it, there's there's a, there's a couple of scenes where I think perhaps it's, it's it is overdone. But I think, generally speaking, the, the the visual style of the film is 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 wonderful, mm. um, and it just adds to this sort of energy and dynamism throughout. And the crash zooms, the dolly shots, the wet pans, <laughs> you know, ev everything's there. But I think he sort of anchors it very cleverly within yeah. this with this comp competition um, element, and so you have you know the the, the extended element. Uh, sections of uh, of drawn out tension and suspense as you're waiting for the clock to to just strike mm -hmm. twelve, um, and he really really uh, uh, draws that out effectively. And you know, you would think perhaps on the surface then this film is slight, sort of uh, narrative wise, but it has, I think you can see it three narrative arcs uh, with you can argue that uh, Sharon Stone's character arc is possibly the weakest of them. Um, yeah. But um, because you see, you see arguably you, you, you are more interested uh, in, in Cop and Cop Ru Russell Crowe's uh, arc. I mean, I would say, yeah, it's got the... I think the arcs are really good and the, the arcs are interesting to me, or I thought they were, but they didn't, you know... They, it didn't surprise. There was nothing that shocked me, apart from one scene in this film. There was nothing that shocked me. I didn't expect. I expected, as soon as you meet Leonardo DiCaprio's character, you know he's going to be. He, he, you know. Well, you say you say you know, but I, I do. I do think that 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 is done very well. You, you got this this uh, relationship uh, he has with his father, um, and uh, Herod. Very, very uh, significant symbolic <laughs> name, obviously. Um, he he doesn't uh, ever acknowledge him as a son, and he frequently sort of makes references to him not actually being his son, and he suspects his his wife of infidelity. And um, mm. but you know you can still see that the the kid, Pepe um, DiCaprio, is is just desperate to get acknowledgement. Of of respect, or you know, yeah. and and he and he's willing to go as far as he has to to get that, um, and there's a tragedy behind that. And uh, Stone, I don't know if you uh, um, found out anything about what she actually did behind the scenes for this film. She she was the one who sought out Sam Raimi. Yes, um, yeah. And she also was the one who uh, insisted, and there's a studio didn't want this, the studio didn't want Russell Crowe or DiCaprio, <laughs> <laughs> funny yeah. enough. Um, and she campaigned for both of them. In fact, she didn't just campaign for DiCaprio, she paid mm. for his salary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and she, she said that he was the only actor who was able to perform on, and cry on cue in uh, in his audition for they clearly must have done the that, that final scene as as his audition scene, and he was the only one who could do it. And um, yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a tragic scene. You might you might say you could see it coming, but it's still heart wrenching when it happens. 
Mm, I don't know. I mean, DiCaprio was still in his his annoying teenager phase, which I suppose is is part of the role. But I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a similar age to him, and and this was sort <laughs> of he's a pretty boy, and I'm not, or I wasn't a certain. Well, I'm certainly not a pretty boy at all at the moment. But uh, you know, growing up, and you know, he's he's, he's just not easily likable for a teenage boy I suppose but I think you know he he wasn't the fully fledged actor that he is now for sure no no but you know he was he was only I think only 19 when he 19 or 20 I think when he but but saying that you know when you look at something like a Titanic where he's meant to be endearing and he's meant to be uh, a likable uh, a likable rogue Rogue. and, and he's not he's just he's just really fucking annoying Ah, you see, see, that's what that's what it is. You are you are carrying baggage from other films into this performance. No, not necessarily. No, you didn't. <laughs> you're not letting me finish, Jamie. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to bring this around. Um, but you know, something like Romeo and Juliet. Um, you know, it, there was the arrogance that was there that you don't necessarily get in any other sort of version of Romeo and Juliet. But then watching this, he, he's everything that he was in the 90s suited the role a little bit more I think for the kid and it sort of it, it does sort of work and it didn't annoy me as, a, as much as I thought it would <laughs> that's probably Good. the best compliment I'm going to give Leonardo DiCaprio in the 90s but yeah I think yeah it, well I, I don't know yeah I could I think it, it was have, have you seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape? yes a very long time ago um Probably something I should revisit because well, well, that that's a performance, yeah, young DiCaprio performance that is worth revisiting. I've seen Critters Three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was that his was that his first role? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, well, less less said about that, the better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, I think you have to start somewhere. Yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, I mean, I suppose. But then again, you, you know, we look at it and say it's got a stellar cast, but. Russell Crowe hadn't really done anything at that point, had he? And and DiCaprio, no. yeah, he'd done what's he and Gilbert Grape, which was well received. Um, but they're not big bankable names, and yeah, your Lance Hendrickson's, um, your Keith Davids, who are very, very popular in in very cult films. Really, they're not really that that supporting cast looks really attractive these days to to people who are, uh, you know. Who, who like a lot of good and sort of culty cinema. Yeah, but I think you've you've got the full range then, though, haven't you? You've got the mm-hmm. established stars like Stone and Hackman, mm-hmm. particularly Hackman. He's he just he's just perfect for the role. But then then you have the younger up and coming stars, yeah. and and but also the dependable supporting character actors as well. And I think it's the perfect ensemble okay. coming together. So what about what about Hackman then? What do you think? Sorry? How do you think this rank? How do you think this ranks in Gene Hackman's uh, filmography? And his, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I th- I think there's certain sort of elements of his performance where he's he's clearly um, repeating some of his Unforgiven character. Um, yes, I, uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't put it up, you know, with uh, French Connection. Um, or um, what other sort of films he's done? <clears throat> Crimson Tide. Um, it, it's a, it's a it's a, it's a good performance. I would say it might creep into a top ten. 
Ooh, performance. Okay. Um, I, I think he, I think he's very good. Uh, again, mm. s- slight sus- you know suspension of disbelief. I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but you know to think that he's got these lightning fast reflexes at uh, <laughs> at his age seems a little bit implausible. Um, mm. But uh, no, he he just he he carries that role so effectively, and he just has this presence. And I love the way he was introduced in classic. Yeah. West, Western villain style, <laughs> focusing on the spurs of the boots that he stops by the saloon door. It's classic presentation. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a it's a it's a very good performance. Um, I I don't think he's necessarily you know pushing himself. This is not Hackman on on firing on full cylinders. Um, he's he's performing within his uh, abilities. That's for sure. Well, he doesn't need to do any more than that. You know. Um, no, I think it's quite interesting you say that because it was something I picked up on. Is you know, it's there's a lot of um, similarities to to his, his character in in Unforgiven, which is obviously a completely different film, a completely different type of western. But it's like that character is sort of but but it's sort of ramped up to ten, and without the duality, you know, it doesn't have the duality that the uh, that it does. You know, he's he's saying that he's doing right by the people here. Um, and he's absolutely doing, you know, wrong by the people. Um, so it doesn't have that duality that you have in in Unforgiven, which is still a, you know, it's definitely at the top of my list. I would say. Oh for, yes, yes, absolutely. For Hackman, yeah. and it's not a film that I revisit a lot because I think it is it is quite slow in a lot of places. But it's a very it's very much a performance film. It's very much. Um, you know those uh, those two characters and and what's right and what's wrong and and it has a lot more depth to it than maybe this character. Yeah, well, it has a lot more depth to it than yeah. this character. I but... agree. Um, so, yeah, going back to sort of the the narrative of the film, having previously said that um, I thought that Sharon Stone's sort of character arc could have been a little bit bit better. Um, I still liked how they had um, sort of. You have the the scene where Russell Crowe's character caught is hung up by the noose mm-hmm. um, on the uh, and just, just on on the table, and you have Gene Hackman's character just shooting away at the at the at the table, just toying with him, playing with him, and then just at the last second, she, she shoots down the rope um, yeah. in, a, in a display of prowess, uh, gun uh, gun slinging skills, um, and you have to wait almost to the end of the film. To, to, to get the, the payoff with that, seeing that uh, you have the flashback sequence when her father, uh, Gary Sinise, um, another sort of notable, yeah, yeah, notable yeah. actor, um, <laughs> is, is strung up. And it's it's clearly uh, referencing Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, it's a similar the, the creme, sort of scene. creme de la creme of Westerns. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so you have, you have the poor, poor girl... Uh, who has who has that opportunity to to potentially save the life of her father um, and shoot the rope, but she is un- unable to do that and and, and shoots her father. And it's just, you know, hell of a uh, shot though. <laughs> yeah, just, right between the eyes. But, but you know, give her some credit. You know, she 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 <laughs> she, she uses that uh, as is a spur motivation mm. uh, to become. Uh, there's this uh, excellent uh, gunslinger, and she's put in place in that situation again, and this time she's successful. So mm-hmm. there's, there's, I thought that was an interesting sort of narrative sort of appeal. Yeah, and I think it does it 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 does work. You know, like you say, you know, be a bit critical of the the whole Sharon Stone character, but I think it does the arc 
comes sort of full circle, like you say, and 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 does pay off definitely. But again, I think to me, I just saw it. Not that was the bit I didn't see coming. That was what really shocked me was that she she, <laughs> she shot a father basically, um, right between the eyes, and it was like, wow, okay, that's that's pretty shocking. So yeah, I I really sort of appreciated you know as 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 a Western fan. I, I loved what Raimi was doing with this, sort of clearly homaging lots of uh, lots of previous westerns, mm-hmm. um, but also it's a very sort of satirical pastiche element as well, um, which I thought was really effective. Um, and again, just just the, the style throughout um, was, yeah. was, was 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 just was fantastic. And this this is this is Raimi firing on on all cylinders, and yeah. the cinematography. Some of the some of the setups were, were, were mm. brilliant. And use use of uh, split diopter lenses at one point as well. Uh, very De Palma, but it was, it was, it was excellent. Um, and yeah, there's, I think there's one scene in one of the in one of the one of the fights. There must be about twelve of those. You know those 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 shots. Mm. Just, I mean, do you do think sort of sort of uh, think that he was over-egging the style in the film? A little bit. I mean, you know, one of the things when um, you, you you said that this was your choice and, and I'd sort of looked, I'd heard of the film um, and just never got around to watching it and I just thought, this what what is a Sam Raimi Western going to look like? And and how is it is he going to be able to put his the Sam Raiminess into it? And he absolutely does. Like, just through those... Those choices in the cinematography and, and you canted know. angles, yeah, exactly. And you know, and the and the, the obviously the Keith David character where he, I think it's the Keith David character in it where he shoots him straight through the head, and <laughs> yes. you just you you know you're behind it and you see that, and it you know it brings in that that violence um, and and that sort of gnarliness that you expect from Sam Raimi. Yeah, and that's something else that I that I wanted to speak about, where you could. Have been be more critical with uh, the special effects in in Darkman. Special effects in Quick and the Dead, you would still you know stand the test of time. And a lot of it is because he's able to mix practical with with CGI elements much more seamlessly. Perhaps it's the bigger budget of the film mm-hmm. um, as well, um, but it just holds up so much better to scrutiny. Um, and I also loved the the practical explosions uh, in, in the end <laughs> sequence. I've got a thing for practical explosions, you know. Again, it's it's in the nineties. It's probably the, the perfect decade for practical explosions. Um, and now it's much more likely to be done CGI. And you, you, you can just tell you can tell the difference between a CGI explosion and a proper practical one. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Well, they. <laughs> they blow up a hell of a lot, hell of a lot more of that town than they fucking needed to. They do. They just I, kept going. I, <laughs> like, do they I, not I, care about these people? I, 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 must, I, I must admit, I did a, a bit of a chuckle at the end when he sort of says, "Oh, here I'm handing over the town back to you." Oh, hang on a minute, you've blown it to smithereens. <laughs> There's nothing left of yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, it absolutely. You know, it has that that Raimi edge to it, definitely. You can tell it's a Sam Raimi film, yeah, pretty early on as well. And I think he, you know, he has these, these, these sort of he creates these interesting parts for for the for the supporting cast as well. And I think he does that in in a lot of his films. You don't get a lot of his uh, sort of the bit parts that are, are completely one dimensional. They've always got, they've got, you know, like um, I believe I've read in my research that 
the, the Pat Hingle character, the, 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 the landlord at the, at the saloon, um, had a little bit more to do in, in the original script and stuff. But you still get, it's still quite a little nuanced performance of this man who's, you know, he's, he, he's just completely beaten down all the time and he's, he doesn't stand up for anything and, and you, it, it's there and you've got the, I forget the actor's name, but old man Marley, I'll call him. Um, and the, you know, his sort of history with, uh, the lady and and stuff like that everybody's got a little bit of something which i think is really a really important thing in any film really you know even these these people who were just brought in to be dispatched at the at the jewels and the uh, and the gunfights they've all got the little Backstory. they've got their little bio you know yeah. almost um mm. something you'd expect in like a computer game where you know you've got this is you know they got they've all got their little backstory mm. um which is 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 really fascinating, including the uh, uh, the Native American whose name I forget. Yes, yes. but he can't be killed. Yes. <laughs> the hand comes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and even you know um, he's the escapee, the the convict uh, with Scar. I think he might be called Scar or something. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you've got this uh, this other guy who's obviously a, a, a paedophile and uh, mm. you know gets his gets his just desserts which is is quite um is, yeah. is always good to see yeah and you you have quite a few elements of you know um subverting representation of the western obvious one uh, having Sharon Stone as, as as the lead character but you know mm-hmm. she is, is is a positive female representation and in, yeah. in what is typically um, you know, women are not represented positively in the Western, of course. Uh, she makes uh, the, makes reference to that at the beginning with a, with an exchange with the with the barman, um, and then yes, you have the exchange with uh, that pedophile character where she shoots him rather uh, uh, Robocop style mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in, the, in the crown jewels. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, th- I think that that's, that's dealt with uh, appropriately, and it does sort of bring the the Western up to more sort of modern sort of sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to think. I don't think I don't think any of his brothers are in this film, are they? No, I know Bruce Campbell's role was uh, deleted, wasn't it? I, th- yes. I think there was a, he did shoot a scene that was that was deleted. Maybe yes. that, maybe that should be my deleted scene of choice. <laughs> Well, I don't remember actually seeing. Uh, I don't know if there is any. Is there? I did have a look for some videos on YouTube of the Quick and Dead, but I don't think that one pops up. So whether that actually exists or not, I don't know. Is there a X Files connection in this? Am I jumping the gun a bit here? No, 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 no. You've got two in this. There is two. Um, one that's already been mentioned. Um, uh, on a previous episode, which is Lance Hendrickson, who was in... Oh, um, of course, he was in the crossover Millennium Yeah, one. the yeah. Millennium yeah. 1 in Series yeah, yeah, yeah. 7. And, um, but your second one is uh, Tobin Bell, Jigsaw himself. Oh, I who don't again, him. He appears in a Season 7 episode called Brand X, about uh, he plays a chain smoker who... Um, is uh, is some kind of a deal with a tobacco company and this uh, these super cigarettes that he's smoking are basically killing everybody but him um, with tobacco flies in the lungs mm. and stuff. Yeah, season six and seven, I, they often sort of converge together. I don't really, I don't, 
I'm not as familiar with those seasons. One, one to four and five. It's quite an interesting episode, actually, Brandex. It's quite. A, it's one of the better ones of the of the later series. But uh, yeah, Tobin Bell is mm. and and Lance Hendrickson in this film. But yeah, I, that's it. I don't think I've got anything else. Do you think the because it, it was something that sort of bugged me that the sex scene is completely unnecessary in this film? Yeah, hundred percent unnecessary. Yeah. And um, I think I, th- I, th- I think it's cut from 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 some some versions because um, I was listening to a, a podcast and uh, they they were sort of saying oh I was just you know, I was waiting for I I remembered I remember this uh, sex scene when, when I first watched it and it was not in this version so there must be uh, the right. editions of it that are, that's cut out yeah it's it completely superfluous um, yeah. I, you can argue that most sex scenes in films are completely unnecessary. You know, how, how many of them actually are really, really integral to the plot? There's very few of them, really. Yeah, exactly. And I think you've got to think that this was maybe added just because it's Sharon Stone. Could be. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the the studio insisted on it. I don't know if it. I don't think it would have been something that Sharon Stone would have wanted. To no. be honest, I don't think so because she's already done that. Yeah. You know, um, and I think. If anything, she would have been trying to move away from that. And I think this this sort of smells of the studio saying, "Oh, come on, you know, um, let's 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 uh, have a little bit more of what you're famous for." And um, I've, I've got mm. a feeling that yes, it's probably quite late in the in the in the shooting, and they said, "Oh, let's let's crow, crowbar this scene in." And uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't sit well. Not at all. I'll certainly agree with that. Uh, what, it's, we we sort of discussed as well a little bit um, of about the casting of uh, Russell Crowe. But what about the performance? What did you think of his performance? Uh, subdued, hmm. but that was that was his his character. His character was someone who was trying to um, escape from his past, or he had uh, a lot of sins to atone for, um, and he was pulled into this tournament and you know against his will the killer in him had to come back you got that, that exchange with mm. with hackman scouted saying, you know welcome back killer you know um, well that's i think although sharon stone's character's probably got ultimately the 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 arc that that that, that completes the film and everything it, it's russell crowe's it's almost Russell Crowe's story for the yeah, rest exactly. of the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I meant before, saying that the, that the narrative arc of his mm. arguably overshadows Stones. Well, I don't know if that was supposed to be the case. I'm not sure Stone would have yeah. been um, uh, wanting that. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got this, this impression that um, this character that she fought for actually has a narrative arc that takes a little bit of you know, highlight from from her role, mm. but uh, yeah, uh, you can see that you you do have sort of three narrative arcs. You have Court, you have Herod, and you have Ellen, um, and perhaps it, it, the film could have focused more more on one and made that a little bit more de- defined. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's there's certainly plenty of substance to the story. You know, it's it'd be wrong to say that it was. Just, just you know, just about this gunfighting competition. There's mm. for a film that's just over a hundred minutes, perfect duration. Um, it, it fits. <laughs> it fits plenty of story into it. Yeah. Well, I mean that. That's another good point for my film. Is it's not. It's ninety minutes. 
think it's bang on as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> I don't think I don't think Raimi makes long films. You know, no. yeah, all of his films are under two hours. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, Spider Man. I think they all took two hours. Well, I guess it, that <laughs> I think two hours. That's 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 fine. Um, it's when it goes over. When it's no, two and no. a half to three hours for a superhero film. I'm sorry, it's that's mm. that's excessive. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. So I mean, I would to to maybe summarise then. Um, if you've got nothing else for for the quick and the dead, mm-hmm. I would say in terms of the quick and the dead, I would say yes. It certainly doesn't reek of of deserving the the box office performance perhaps that it that it received. But to me, I wouldn't say that it's. A good enough of a film to be underappreciated. Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, um, but it's not something I don't. I don't think that I would revisit it. Well, but my my point would be that it must come under the title of underappreciated, based on its box office performance being so mm-hmm. poor, and a lot of people not really know anything about it. A lot of people don't even know it's a Sam Raimi film. Mm-hmm. And because you hadn't watched it, and you've watched lots of other Sam Raimi films, I presume, mm-hmm. yeah, that in itself suggests underappreciated, surely. Well, yes, but the <laughs> the point of this podcast in general, Jamie, is that it's which one of those films do you think is most underappreciated? Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm, just, that's what I'm illustrating. It's the be- no, sorry, surely me, it's let... most underappreciated. <laughs> the point... <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I've not explained myself there. I've completely just said what you said. Um, but yeah. the point is that it's, you know, which is the better film or which one... It, oh, know, I, both I, I definitely think it's a better film. Definitely. It is, it's got better actors, it's got better storyline, it's got better, better effects. Um, I mean, it's clearly the better film. <laughs> Okay, well, I don't, I don't think we're gonna settle this one. Um, this one's uh, gonna have to go it, to the it polls. Looks like, it looks like it's gonna have to be a poll. It's gonna have to go to the polls. Yes, definitely. So, and I, I just hope it's not gonna draw this time. It's got to be a, it's got to be a, a winner either way, and ideally a clear winner. Well, there was, I mean, with the Bond ones, there was, there was a, a vote cast on Spotify, which was for Goldeneye, a single vote. So, oh really? Yeah, but I can't remember. I couldn't remember if that was me or not, so I didn't really uh. mention it. <laughs> Because uh, not many people vote on there. Although not, you know, people of Twitter, you need to get onto Twitter yeah. and you need to vote because we need to settle these arguments. Absolutely, um, we can't we can't be going without um, without having a at least a, a reasonably clear winner, even if it's just one. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't vote anyway. Jamie can vote, so it's uh, it's uh, it's it's not good. We need to we need to have start having some definitive answers to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so to so get uh, onto it, Twitter, it, it, it will come over time. So. <laughs> um, but yes, so um, I think you know we're going to have to t- t- sort of stalemate this one. I think for now, and uh, and put it to bed. So uh, so yeah. It was, a, it was a good discussion, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. Um, I do like, you know, we've only done a couple of of underrated um, episodes so far, and they're always quite interesting. I think, you know, you do look at films that are a little bit more, um, a little bit different from the from the norm, I suppose, and not necessarily ones that you're going to completely gush over. Um, but 
Um, they're certainly both very interesting films, um, and two quite diverse ones for 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 one director as well. It's uh, and sort of made within you know five years of each other, so the same yeah. sort of period in his filmography, which is mm. I think it's important too. Definitely, but uh, obviously next time around, Jamie, it's, it's going to be my choice. Mm-hmm. Although I'm feeling that I might actually throw our next subject to chance and uh, oh, spin the wheel and pull out the uh, random <laughs> subject selector because um, oh, I think that could that. be that could be an interesting one. Just blow the blow the subject wide open and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that will make for an interesting episode, depending on what we get. Obviously, yeah, I'm all for that. Okay, so uh, so keep an eye out for that in the future. Um, be uh, I thought be... it was going to be a live thing. You d- you didn't know, but no, <laughs> no, no. I, well, I uh, <coughs> I send I record it on my screen and send it to you so you can see. Oh, I'm not, I see, just, uh, see. I'm, not right. I'm not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'll get that. Uh, I shall uh, get that out so you can see what that is and okay. start having a having a think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, is there anything that you've got coming up, uh, Jamie, or anything that you'd like to let yeah. people know about? Um, well, I do have um, a podcast coming up. Um, hopefully, it will be um, maybe end of August, maybe beginning of September, with uh, Filmbusters. Um, I'm not going to say uh, what film it is because uh, I want, for a start, I want Ben and Paul to to listen to this. Um, I'll say that I'll, I'll, I've, I've dro- I, I'm going to drop some clues. Um, so it is a director that they have not covered yet so far. A very important contemporary director they have not covered so far. Oh wow! Okay. Um, Surprising. So uh, yeah, um, and for, for for a podcast that. Uh, We've got a wide range of uh, films and directors. Uh, it's a bit surprising they've yet to cover this director. Um, so that's so they're obviously too busy doing ground force over at uh, Adams. Yeah, obviously. they must be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, Paul over at Paul's. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, so, should I give another clue? I'm not sure if I should. I think that's probably enough. Yeah. Do you think? Um, if, I, if, I, if I if I have to give the decade, will I give the decade? <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'll give the decade because it's not really yeah. clear who the director is from that. So I say the decade is eighties, so I'm bringing it back to the eighties. Um, uh, that's what I, that's what I typically do. It to be honest, that, that that is the era that I that really sort of draws me to my childhood, my my teenage years growing up. Um, so yes, that's the second and final clue, lads, and uh, I shall reveal in due course. Would it would it wind them up incredibly if they knew that I know what it is? Oh, I'm sure it would. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll just keep, we'll just keep it at that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I, well, I can say I'm very excited because I think it's a good choice. So. Good. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> leave it at that. Um, but no, I'm I'm active on social media. Um, so on, on Twitter at uh, Movie Mania seventy seven. Um, and I'm um, on Letterbox as well. Um, both of those platforms, um, more than happy to um, share, exchange film views. Excellent. Well, until next time, then, Jamie, uh, it just leaves me to say goodbye and uh, for you to say.
how do you spell that correctly? <laughs>